0: Good morrow to you all. You have fallen on Bard Times.
1: Brought to you by Royal Holloway's Shakespeare Society.
0: You've joined me, Cassie Dixon.
1: And me, Jack Hardman, as we bear some Bardy truths.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Bard Times. Today we look at Shakespearean women with returning guest Eleanor Rutter. So welcome back once again to the podcast, Eleanor. How are you? Thank you for
1: having me again.
0: (laughs) Welcome back. Um, Now I'm... Very curious to hear your thoughts for today's subject because when I say Shakespearean women, I'm not just talking about the heroines and villains in his plays. I'm also referring to the long, long list of dedicated women who have performed his work, worked behind the scenes, and of course, not forgetting the the trailblazers who came before us and who paved the way in the world of theater. So I just want to begin by asking you who are your favourite Shakespearean heroines? Oh, there's so many. Whenever anyone asks me that, I'm like, how how
1: short does the does the lesson <laughs> to be? Um, Kate from the *Taming of the Shrew* is a personal favourite. That play is my favourite. Um, I always come back to Desdemona. I think she's so underrated and so overlooked and kind of written off. Um, I so I think she's really interesting. And then kind of some more generic ones, like Lady Macbeth is always fun. I'm trying to think. Love Save is Lost. The, the Princess of France holds a special place in my heart. But yeah, I think she's brilliant. And uh, Beatrice from Much Ado, Portia
0: from uh, Merchant of Venice. Just, yeah, all of them. <laughs> um, that's brilliant. I, I find it so interesting how Shakespeare wrote such a varied array of, uh, of female characters. Yeah. So I find it really interesting because Shakespeare was a man writing about the female experience. So what do you think of that? Do you think he managed to portray an authentic, nuanced display of female characters?
1: I think in some ways he represents the societal pressures on women very well. So if you do take something like The Tame of the Shrew, uh, All's Well That Ends Well, as you like it, things that revolve very heavily around marriage, midsummer extreme, um, the kind of the pressure that women are under to marry and to marry well and to marry under certain circumstances I think is represented very, very well. Um, But then there is the element of any woman that kind of takes power or gains power also suffers in some way. So I Mm. think, think that element is less well done and there are some women who are kind of very surface level I think last time we spoke about Ophelia and how she's only actually in three about three scenes and she's considered the the main woman of the of the piece um so I think some things he does quite well but then kind of having in depth and there's a lot of depth that has been added over the years that isn't necessarily in the original texts
0: yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And then, of course, there comes into play the dichotomy of female empowerment and negative portrayals, I think, what you were getting at there, um, because there are some connotations of Shakespeare's strongest uh, female characters being portrayed as manipulative. Um, so what do you think of that link? I think I think
1: it's very interesting. I think also if you look at the women that do end up doing quite well, they often take male roles. So there's some quite interesting literature on All's Well That Ends Well, and how Helena, when she goes on her adventure, she's very much taking on the male role within a fable. Mm. She goes on the quest to win the the hand in marriage, which is very much kind of a male-dominated role, usually. And she gets what she wants at the end because she has taken on this male characteristic. Or if you look at As You Like It and Twelfth Night with the cross-dressing, they become men, and it's through playing men that they get what they want so I think there's a very interesting link there between women taking on male characteristics and getting what they want versus women sticking
0: by their female characteristics and not doing as well. Do you think then that Shakespeare might have been at all conscious about writing legitimate strong women from a woman's perspective or do you think he used some of his female characters as women to be made examples of. Because of course a lot of his strong-willed women in power, Lady Macbeth and Tamora for example, um, ended up getting fatal and sometimes brutal comeuppances. So um, what, what do you think about, about that?
1: I do think it's very interesting. I think, um, I would love to think that Shakespeare was progressive, but looking at plays like Tame of the Shrew where you start with someone who's very who's a shrew she's a social uh pariah no one wants to marry her she's not very well liked. and by the end of it she is tamed into Mm. being uh submissive is very much feels like a warning towards women that maybe didn't want to get married didn't want to conform to the social norms and it's kind of a this is what will happen if you don't behave and you don't marry and all that and i think i always come back to the idea of the, the scolds bridle, which was kind of like a punishment in the late medieval early early modern period where it was a like a metal cage on the woman's head and there was a bit that went in the mouth that held the tongue down and sometimes they'd be walked through the streets and that when i read the team of the shrew in the ending that's very much what that makes me think of so i think there's very much the idea of punishment and warning in a lot of his work.
0: I agree. It's funny you should mention The Skull's Bridal because I, I, as you were saying, I was literally thinking it in my head and thinking, wait, that's that is that the right time period? But yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, moving forward then a, a century or so from Shakespeare's time, we then enter the Restoration Era in 1660, named of course for the restoration of the Stuart Monarchy and the crowning of King Charles II. Um, What Charles II did was, among lots of things, uh, restore a lot of cultural entertainment that had been banned under Oliver Cromwell's government, which included theatre. So here we have a big change in history with women finally being able to play female roles, not just female roles, I guess just any roles on the stage. I wanted to talk to you about that historical significance, but also the release of the stigma of being an actress because of the uh, the connotations between being an actress and being a prostitute.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think because that was a time of such change just in everything, like politically, socially, culturally, it was kind of the perfect time for women to come on the stage. And it, it was just, it was an opportunity, I think was utilized very, very well by women that wanted to be actors and by men that were in a position to help them. Um, I think they kind of saw it, and went this is this is the time like we've waited long enough, and I think it's it was a really good way of like you said, destigmatizing actresses and the link between acting and prostitution
0: yeah, absolutely um one of the 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 companies around that time that had over ten uh women was thomas betterton's company, of course um so along with that, we also have famed actresses of the time like Nell Gwyn. Um, her talent perhaps being overshadowed by the fact that she was the mistress of uh, Charles, but what do you think about those actresses in Betterton's company, but also just the actresses of the time?
1: I think there's an interesting link between kind of social position and social links. So I think, from my research, uh, Thomas Betterton was in quite a privileged position socially, so he was able to do what maybe smaller lesser-known theatres weren't able to do as well which was employ over 10 actor uh, actresses and the woman whose name I've completely forgotten but who was the actress that was mistress to to Charles had that social connection that allowed Mm. her to be able to kind of become what she wanted to be with less stigma than kind of other places that weren't as privileged didn't have the kind of societal power and push that they could have done so I think there's an interesting link there between position in society and ability to be a woman on the stage
0: absolutely um Nell Gwyn really had the rags to riches kind of story because of how Charles managed to up her her position in society whereas um I, I think she was uh, an orange girl is is what how is how they refer to her selling oranges on the streets and a lot of people a lot of women in that position, um, lower class position, would have perhaps ended up as prostitutes. Um, so, to see a person like Nell Gwyn go from uh, a street vendor to a uh, famed actress and, and respected as well was was uh, very very significant. I think. Um, What what do you think of these women as trailblazers? Do you even now consider them inspirations of sorts?
1: I think so, yeah. I think there's a lot of power in recognising your position and knowing how to use it to get where you want. I think quite a lot of people frown on that but I myself think that that's a very clever way of working what you have to your advantage. So I do consider them inspirational because like you have to you have to work with what you've got and if that's the best way to get where you want to be um back then because it was so such a different time period it was so much more difficult for women to do things like that i think they are inspirational they are trailblazers in the way they want this is what i want this is how i get it you know
0: i i i would agree with that i i i also consider them inspirations too but then of course you have to consider the other side of things unfortunately (laughs) um we're nearly 400 years later and women are still making history in the theatre industry by being the first of something and as great as that is in retrospect if you look at it uh, over the span of those 400 years it's quite shocking that it's still happening today that there are still firsts happening in this day and age so what 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 do you think that means to you?
1: Yeah that does that does kind of make me quite sad because it like you said it's been 400 years and have we really progressed as far as we think we have and it means that we have so much further to go and if you think if things don't speed up it's gonna be another 400 years and we might still be having this conversation oh don't say that <laughs> <laughs> so it just kind of it makes me think about how there are so, so many things are so much better but there's still so much more to do and to work on um, and we kind of we have so much further to go than we maybe think we do when you think of it that way in terms of it's been 400 years like oh maybe we haven't come as far as we thought we had but it's i think it's a really nice time to be in at the moment because it means that we get to experience it and like you and me as individual people get to experience being in an era where women are being the first of something so for us and maybe for girls the generation below us that's quite nice personally because it means that we have people to look up to and to aspire to
0: that's very true yeah i agree so we've spoken a little bit about trailblazers of the past, but I also want to acknowledge some of the more modern ones with the RSC, The Globe, any other uh, company who actually deals with Shakespeare. So are there any particular female artists of our age that you particularly look up to?
1: I love Michelle Terry. I just I just think she's absolutely brilliant and everything she kind of does with The Globe, I just really, really enjoy and especially Emilia... I know that wasn't her that was Nicole Charles and Morgan Lloyd Malcolm but she kind of created a space in which that could be made and then also Nicole Charles and Morgan Lloyd Malcolm and anyone that was involved in Amelia I just absolutely adore because I thought that was phenomenal and it was really nice again to be in a time where I could see that as because it was a first um, kind of telling Amelia's story. And the way, just the way it was told on stage, was absolutely amazing. So I'd say those three women and Emma Rice. Yeah, she's just she's just great. Um, she just I think she does some wacky things, and I absolutely love them. That it's, it's I think she really brings the fun to Shakespeare. Emma Rice. I think Michelle Terry for me is much more kind of the academic, interesting, deep dive into Shakespeare, and then Emma Rice is the fun. Uh, extravaganza side of
0: Shakespeare. And why wouldn't you love those two? <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of uh, Michelle Terry and Emma Rice, there's something very interesting about the artistic director role of the Globe, especially the handing over of the role between the two and the controversy that was surrounding them. Um, so for those of you who are listening who are perhaps not aware of, of what happened, um, Emma Rice was appointed Artistic Director of the Globe back in 2016, but it was announced only a few months into her tenure that she would be leaving in 2018. So, Eleanor, what do you think about, uh, as you said, you you love both of them, but they did have very two very different approaches to uh, the globe and how the globe puts on Shakespeare. So what, what do you think of Rice's attitude towards Shakespeare? Because personally, I think it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, like I said, I love Emma Rice. And that's not to say, from what I said, it's not that I don't think Emma Rice's work isn't academic. That's, it's not that at all. But I do think she possibly missed part of the globe and the reason of going to the globe. It's about the experience that links back to Shakespeare's day. And I think she maybe missed that because there's absolutely nothing wrong with bringing Shakespeare into the 21st century to having modern lighting, modern sound effects. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think the Globe in particular as a performance space is about linking back to Shakespeare's original time and being immersed in the experiences that people of his time would have had going to the theatre. And I think she possibly missed that when she became artistic director and tried to bring in all this modern stuff and um, in that the globe itself for me is supposed to be about going back to Shakespeare's time and experiencing it the way people in his time would have done as opposed to bringing the globe into the 21st century.
0: Yeah I, I think to a certain extent I can definitely agree with that um, but I, I, I can't help but think Also, the globe just wasn't ready for emma (laughs) rice
1: yeah i think there's definitely an element of that and if you think about kind of most of the investors are kind of middle to upper class rich white straight men who probably didn't appreciate a woman coming in to try and change things.
0: <laughs> I also love that what Rice tried to do was reach wider audiences with representation and how she approached um, different cultures and different backgrounds, which I I, I found very ambitious, but possibly too am- ambitious for the globe, unfortunately. I really want to see what she does in the future with Shakespeare, because I think what she can do is absolutely fantastic. But what we do see at the globe is a continuance of a historical tradition of all male casts for example and what we begin to see with uh, michelle terry's tenure for example is all female productions so what do you think of of the all female productions for example put on at the globe
1: i think it's almost a way of kind of taking back a very male dominated space because for so long women could not work in the theater. Like we've just been discussing for, there was such a long time where it was just a male dominated space. And I think now it's kind of a taking back the stage, taking back the space kind of thing. Um, And people will always read gender onto stage, onto the stage, I think. Like even if you are playing a man, people will be like, oh, but it's a woman playing a man. There is always that element of it. But I, I do just really enjoy it i think it creates i do think it creates a different atmosphere um to this so like amelia wasn't all all female cast and it and it's also kind of a way so if you have in the past men playing women in a way that's kind of very stereotypical now we get to do that kind of thing and we get to almost make fun of them in the same way
0: <laughs> i love i love thinking of it like that yeah um and of course on the other side of things with the RSC you also have trailblazers like Josette Simon for example. Um, so I I wanted to quickly discuss with you the importance of uh, her presence on a Shakespearean stage.
1: Um, I think with her it's so much of it is about race and gender and where they intersect and especially in Shakespeare and kind of with the RSC being such a centre for Shakespearean study it's a way for them to show representation and for them to reach wider audiences as well and bring them into into Shakespeare and she herself is just such a powerhouse she's so captivating to watch I think she's absolutely amazing
0: absolutely I, I would agree with that and and I think what is so important with Shakespeare is that intersectionality and the representation so if if you want more trailblazers like Josette Simon, like Michelle Terry, like a- anybody really, um, you need to see yourself represented on stage and to be a first in this day and age I think while it is sad it's also something to be incredibly proud of because like you said it will just encourage and inspire entire generations to come and I think that's that's definitely something to be proud of. Um, So you you mentioned a little bit about um, gender and Shakespeare on the stage, and I wanted to not pass up this opportunity to talk about the legacy of women playing Hamlet. So why do you think Hamlet is the role that you see a lot of women gravitate to or being cast as?
1: Yeah, I think Hamlet marks such a key moment in Shakespeare's writing and in his career uh, in that it's very much a turn into interiority. So, kind of before that, everything about, not everything, but most of his characters had been, been very external and they weren't necessarily as layered as we have now added to them. But Hamlet just marked this monumental shift in showing interior feelings, and it was so much of it is about the grief he felt about his son and i just think there's something about the there's just an emotional emotionality to hamlet that i think is just so appealing i think it's appealing to any actor but i think there is that element of he's so layered and there's so much you can do with him he's so meaty that i think it's that's why it draws people in and i think especially women because if you can do hamlet and do it well you can kind of do anything it's one of those conquering things and I think for maybe for women trying to make it in the theatre if they can do Hamlet they can prove that they can do absolutely anything. I love that
0: and of course Hamlet isn't the only uh, Shakespearean monarch to be played by women in in a, in a contemporary sense. Hamlet is more of a historical there's, there's more of a historical legacy with women playing the role I think but especially in today's age, we're starting to see a lot more women play more of the male monarchs. Um, For example, you've got Fiona Shaw as Richard II, Glenda Jackson famously as King Lear. Um, So what do you think gender-swapped productions can tell us about Shakespeare's portrayals of of women? For example, um, the recent 20... 19 rsc production of the taming of the shrew um with the gender swap of kate and petruchio and it emphasizes the 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 toxic nature of their relationship um but but yeah what do you what do you think about productions like that
1: yeah i think they're really really interesting and with the whole women playing male monarchs thing i think it's really interesting that i've never seen i'm not saying they don't exist but i've never seen a version of a woman playing say Richard III but as a woman it's always them playing it as a man and I would be really interested to see them play say Hal from the Henry plays but as a woman I think that would be really interesting I think maybe that's the next step um but when I saw Glenda Jackson Jackson do King Lear at the Old Vic um, there was something very androgynous about her and the way she played it there was kind of no gender to King Lear they were just the monarch which was really, really interesting. And then with gender-swapped plays, with the Tame of the Shoe one, there was so much in it about physical dominance, which I found really interesting. And she very, in act two, scene one, kind of like chokeholds him. And it's very much about asserts, still asserting dominance in what is considered a male way, which is really interesting. And then there was a version of Measure for Measure, I think it was at the Domma Warehouse, with Hayley Atwell and she played Isabella for the first half but then in the interval they swapped round and she played Angelo and they flipped it and that was so interesting because I think it makes you examine your prejudices and you have to sit there and think about how you were thinking before you went into the play compared to how you think when you leave and I think that's a really important part of gender swap productions is it does challenge your expectations and it does make you sit up and pay attention and actually think about what you're watching
0: yeah i i that's 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 definitely why i love them and it just makes me love shakespeare all the more um measure for measure of course famously a problem play and i think the gender swap can definitely unearth things that um that we hadn't perhaps been aware of before um speaking of of women playing male roles, but as women. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Aston Nielsen's Hamlet. Um, So she made a film in 1921, I think. It was based on a notion put forth by Edward P. Vining, who suggested that that the reason for um, for Hamlet's emasculation was because Hamlet was in fact a woman. And that is how Nielsen plays Hamlet in the film. She plays Hamlet as A monarch who was born a woman but raised as a man but who identifies as a woman so you have all of this contextual um layering of gender and sexuality which is brilliant so i recommend it it's on youtube if you're interested
1: yeah that sounds so interesting
0: (laughs) but what what do you what do you think about the difference between gender blind casting in that case and gender conscious casting um for those of you who are listening who aren't aware Eleanor would you like to explain the difference?
1: Yeah I can give it a go. So gender blind casting is where you don't pay attention to the gender of the actors you just cast them based on who you want in that role gender conscious casting is when directors make the choice we want a woman playing Hamlet and we want a man uh, playing Ophelia for example it's when they make the active choice to swap genders or keep genders the same, but it's usually for a specific purpose, I think. Um, So like with the measure for measure where they swapped it, they wanted people to pay attention to their expectations of how they thought the play was going to play out. And then the shock when it swapped in the second act for them to be like, oh, okay, I need to think about
0: this. Brilliant, yeah. What do you think then a woman playing a a male, Shakespearean character can add to the original text.
1: I think there are there are so many lines that change depending on who says them, and the one I always think about is in *The Taming of the Shrew*. Kate's speech in Act Five, Scene Two. The Fi in it, they threatening unkind brow. The one that starts with like that. There's a line in it that says, uh, "Men who commit their bodies to painful labour by both land and sea." But obviously think about labor in terms of it's women that go into labor, it's women that go through labor and give birth. So who says that in terms of gender massively changes the context. And when it's a woman playing it, it can be very funny because she can be like, oh, yeah, all that labor that he goes through, you know, all that pain he experiences when he clearly doesn't. And it can be a comedic thing. Uh, But then when a man says it about a woman, it just changes the context completely and I think that's a really interesting way of using gender blind or gender conscious casting.
0: I agree. Um, So on the flip side of things, when you gender swap a character, what do you think a woman playing uh, a gender swapped character can add to the original text?
1: I think it always just adds different layers and it can highlight different parts of the characters because obviously characters are made up of so many things you can't always focus on every part of them um so by gender swapping them you can choose to focus on very specific aspects of that character um so the version of Twelfth Night at the National I think Emma, Emma might have directed or I might have just pulled that out of nowhere um but where it's Tamsin and Greg playing Malvolia. Mm was so interesting, because there were so many different things you could read into it when she's a woman compared to when the character is a man.
0: Yeah, I, I really need to see that production. I haven't yet, and, and it's, it's been nagging at the back of my mind. Watch highly, it, watch it. I
1: highly recommend it, it's very, very good.
0: Brilliant. Um, so as a whole, to you personally, what can female helmed Shakespearean productions help to bring in the future? So this is not just speaking about women on the stage, this is women behind the stage, women putting forth new productions. What what do you think they can add to the future?
1: I think they can just add the female experience. I think there is just an absence of it in general. Um and I think it's about uncovering kind of all these untold stories that have have been kept quiet or no one's known about for so long like I didn't know who Amelia was before the play came out in 2018 and she did so much for kind of female education and women being able to publish um because when she started publishing she was the only woman Um, very possible that she was the first woman who managed to get something published and there were very strict rules that she had to abide by but then kind of by the end of her time, she had she was educating women, um, she'd managed to find a way around the really strict um, rules that she had to follow. Like she did so much that I had no idea about until I saw the play. So I think there's a real emphasis and importance in uncovering all these stories that haven't been told before and haven't kind of come to light and bringing women who did so much back then to the now and kind of giving them the place in history that they really deserve
0: I, I think there's something very beautiful about unearthing the voices of the past and letting them finally speak through us um brilliant I, I think we we will leave it there for today then uh thank you so much eleanor for again coming in and talking to us
1: yeah, thank you for having me again <laughs>
0: It's been really great talking to you and hearing your thoughts on this. Um, So thank you again, and a big thank you to everyone else who tuned in for today's episode. This has been Cassie Dixon. Stay safe, and in the words of the Bard himself, In black ink my love may still shine bright.